Wonderful to have you with us at Rafa today. I believe that what you are going to hear will be a blessing to you. And I'm glad that you searched our website and chose this particular teaching. And in preface to this teaching today, I was reminded of a quote that I lifted from another author's writings where he said, quote, we live our lives in quiet desperation. And I thought that was a good philosophical thought, but the author did not capture the depth beyond that which we can find in God. The teaching of this ministry today is going to be maturing spiritually through conflicts. Maturing spiritually through conflicts. There is, I believe, in every soul a yearning, and I think that's what that author was alluding to from his point of understanding. I believe there's a yearning in every soul, and for this to be accomplished, it's going to require trials and tests and tribulations into a life and come through a life to have that accomplished, that maturing process. Sadly, most individuals, they reach a decision point and they abandon the quest and settle for the mundane substitute. They don't uh, want to go through the tests and the trials and the tribulations that a maturation process requires. The writer of Hebrews, which we believe was Paul, in chapter 12, verse 1, says this, We are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That's a very provocative statement that the writer of Hebrews said to us says we are compassed about, that means we're surrounded about, with a cloud of witnesses. There are those in the spiritual area, as well as some in the natural area, who are observing and evaluating our journey and our maturation process. And we're surrounded by these on every side. We never know whom is listening to us. But they are there, and when we, it says in doing this process, we have to lay aside. That means come to grip with your own individual rebellion against God's ordinances. We have to learn to set those aside, otherwise they'll they'll weight us down. And the weight there, he talks about where uh, lay, lay aside every weight. That means the uh, the oppressive things and the bulk of our the things that are plaguing us and, and causing us a consternation and hindering our process, how hindering our process of running our race. And it says, lay aside the weight of every sin. And sin there is a singular pronunciation. It, it has to do with only dealing with one sin at a time. We can't cognitively deal with but one thing at a time. And when we're dealing with a sin, we should deal with that one sin at a time, not try to wait till we get a cumulative effort at those, but deal with each and every one when we become aware of that. And it says these things will beset us. That means as a competitor, they're going to hinder us. They're going to be draw on our uh, 
our abilities and they'll be blocking our efforts in our progress. They'll be blocking our path and they'll put it be obstacles in our path. And it says, let us, that means a self-charging, a uh, renewing benefit of us. He said, let us run with patience. We have to do the charging, self-charging, the self-motivating process within us. No one else can do that for us. We have to do that. And it says, then when we've uh, done these things, then we can run with patience. We need to run with patience. And therefore that's going to take an effort also. Patience there in the, uh, in the Greek means an endurance, uh, Pacings oneself. I remember uh, those who ran in relay races in, in high schools and colleges. You don't run at your fullest when you begin. You pace yourself. You plan your race. You plan your energy level, how much you're going to expend at a certain point by a certain point in the race. How much reserve do you have less? And it says run with patience. That means also in the Greek uh, a consistency. You can't run with spurts effectively. You have to be consistent with that. And we can only do that when we're strengthened in the conflict. Running strengthens us. When we see those around us hindering us or when we see the obstacles or the barriers, this should strengthen us to uh, to show more energy and be more astute when we come to the, into those areas. It says to run these with these things, the race. It means a particular race, not not just general races, but a particular race, the race that is set before us. Our races in life are predetermined by God. He knows how we're going to run, and he will set in place our energy levels and our uh, encouragements as we need those as we learn the process. So this is the base, the foundation of dealing with the diversities that are encompassed within our life's decisions in our race. It talks about uh, the race where there's a course in our race. And a course is a predetermined path to a determined, defined destination. In the Hebrew Old Testament, they, they talked about a course as being subject to division and theft and distribution of, of energies. But in the, when we get into the New Testament and we talk about course in the Greek, it, it speaks there to activity and our uh, the things that is assigned to, to, to someone. Our races are assigned to us, and God gives us a lot of latitude in that, but he guides our path as we yield to him in deciding how we're going to run our race. When the Holy Spirit decides that the time is present in a situation, he begins an alternative in an activating a course of action in our life. This course, if followed, will ensure a victorious campaign. That's the good thing about when we know that we're following God's race, when we're running a race for the Lord. This also works in the, in the unsaved person. They, they know this, that there's a yearning in their soul that, that's not quenched. That to an unsaved person, there is always 
that nagging, that gnawing thing in there. Now, it may be covered up with a lot of activities in the daytime and a lot of bravados and brokadocious type of uh, attitudes. But in the quiet of the night, when they're by themselves, they deal with this yearning and they can't put their finger on it but they just know that there's something that they need to attain. There's something they need to be doing. And of course, when we come to the Lord and salvation regeneration process, then God starts letting us know his plan for our life. Each individual, God gives a distinct, separate plan that is tailor-made to your talents and to your motivations and to your will and the way that you choose to run your ways. When you start out, as a saved person, your disciple process will include this race, and it's going to have hindrances. It's going to have tests. It's going to have trials that will have to be overcome. So learning to respond to the situation according to how the Holy Spirit leads is the key to moving out in the process. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, in times past, ye walked according to the course of this world. And course of the world there means sometimes, he says, we were alienated and enemies in your mind. That's where the battlefield begins, is in your, where you're alienated and you're your own enemy in your mind. How many people are your own worst enemy? I've seen that so much in ministry. And it says we... In uh, Galatians 6, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That means rulers in time or rank. Powers. That means forces and those uh, entities that have abilities to cope with us. It says, Rulers of the darkness of this world. God's not calling us to, to deal with the world hereafter or the world that was. We're dealing with the darkness of the world in which we dwell. And if you look at current events, if you look at circumstances, we understand that this world is becoming so much darker every moment of every day. Evil is trying to draw light out of the world. Darkness there, rulers of darkness of this world. The darkness there uh, is the opposite of light. Now, we're the first generation can know that there's a little bit of light in darkness. We have goggles that we can put on, and we can see in the what we call dark, but there's still enough light there to give us a, a pathway, but it's getting darker all the time. And it says we deal with wickedness, spiritual wickedness. This is evil in effect. And it's evil in its influences. When we go out every day into the world, these are the things we're encountering. Alienation by our mind. We're wrestling against flesh and blood, which we shouldn't be doing. We're dealing with principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. Those are demonic, satanic activities. And how few Christians understand that. And these are spiritual wickedness in their effect and their influence in high places. High places. In every conflict, there is utilization by God toward maturing the individual. God uses every conflict in our life to give, bring us into a maturing 
uh, in that moment. Now, every bit of our maturing leads to a greater maturing in an area. So uh, the unregenerated person, in other words, the unsaved one, God reveals the need for a deliverer and a decisions to be saved. This is why the uh, their anguish of cry normally is at a time when they've run out of their option. They say the cry, oh, God, help me. God, help me. And to the regenerated one, God reveals his presence, his aid, and his support in our moment of need, in our moment of tribulation, when we're fighting that particular part of our battles. So through tribulations and tests, God starts to implant things within us. To In the, in the uh, book of Job, chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Now that's commitment. That is faith commitment. Trust there means I will wait patiently upon the Lord. I'm not going to try to, when I recognize this is a point, I'm not going to try to work this out on my own ability. I'm going to trust God to do it for me. It says, but I will maintain my own ways before him. Maintain theirs. I'm going to make a, a quality decision or I'm going to convict myself to mind my own ways before him. While in the act or fighting the battle, victory sometimes seems so very distant. When John the Baptist, the father and mother of Jesus, waited on the Lord, his father and mother waited on the Lord, they felt barren. They were waiting for God to do something. They had faith that God was going to do something, but there was the times when they wondered about that. They they wondered if, if God was going to really do it. We suffer the same type of things when we're faced with a challenge. It, will God do this? Will he deliver me out of that? And that's a failing of our faith, but there's still a measure of faith that's there to see it, whether unsaved person or a saved person. God leaves enough faith supernaturally imposed upon us that we can believe him for the next step. So. In, in the uh, act of fighting our battle, uh, you're going to feel that same type of spiritual inco- uh, impotence. Uh, you're going to feel that helplessness, that sterility in, uh, in having God fruitfully bear something as the parents of John the Baptist fell when they were waiting for God to supply their need. And when we're uh, in the act of fighting that battle, this is when the battle uh Confession of what God says about a thing is so necessary to be verbalized. Psalm 45, verse 21 through 1 through 3 is talking about this. Psalm 45, chapter 2 there, verse 1 through 3 says, I will, that means a conscious effort, speak of the things that means set in place which I have made touching the king. Now it's good for us to have certain types of scriptures that are favorites of ours, where when we get in the middle of a conflict, we don't have to go searching. We these things become second nature as us. He says uh, that he's going to speak those things which he has made in his own mind 
touching the king. In other words, touching what the king has said about it. A king's decree is going to be the final. And then he goes on to say in that, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Your tongue stands ready to confess what's going on in your soul and in your mind. It says it's ready. That means skillful and diligent to be writing what God has said about something as you confess that. Grace is poured into the lips. Uh, therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. Grace will be manifesting through your lips so that God can get the glory. God will be fortifying and he'll be edifying in these times. And it says, I will. This is a considered, committed decision and weighed by the potential one of the cost that's going to be involved. We have to consider that. When we make a conscious decision saying, I will, it means that we have considered the cost of what it's going to cost us. And then it says, speak. This means verbalizing all uh, here, all we hear and all we understand of, of the life and internal choices that we have. The things as touching the kings. Things mean every conscious consideration and element involved. Now, that's going to take time. It's going to take resolve, and it's going to take meditation. What's involved in this? To me, For me to overcome this particular part of this hurdle, what things are involved, and then I'm going to consider that I need to verbalize these things, and I'm going to make a conscious decision. And then it talks in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, pray that the word of the Lord may have run, that means run, free course, that's a direction, and be glorified. Pray means keep the commandment bathed in supplication. Don't don't just pray one time. Stay before God until you start seeing the, the crumbling away of the conflicts. And it says there that it may have a free course, May there is be permitted. It's not shall or, or might. It says that God will permit it, and they maybe have free latitude to do their work. It is not uh, a finish complete until it is completed. So a thing is not finished until it's finished. So I would remind you right here, do not confess yourself out of your victory. Now, this is important. I'm going to say it again. Do not, by your confession, confess yourself out of the, the victory that's coming when you're in these type of situations. Keep your confession pointed, directly oriented to the course, to the thing that's immediate the problem and also that's going to lead you to your, to your final destination. James in his writing says this in chapter 3, verse 6, talking about the tongue. It is a fire. That means that it's an, it's an end, it flames for good or bad. Your tongue can be a source for good or bad to inflame that. It can defile the whole body. You, your tongue can bypass what's in your mind if, you, if it's allowed to just rattle at its own will and speak things that are not as though they are, and settle, setteth on fire the course. Your course can be set on fire 
with your tongue. That means the physical aspects and the and the circuit of getting that done can be uh, can be canceled out. They can be set on fire. They can be compromised by your tongue. That's what James is saying there in chapter three of his writings. In Psalm nineteen verse five, it elaborates. It says, "Rejoice." as a strong man to run the race. When you've considered these things we've been talking about, then you can give praise to God and you can rejoice because you know that you're not running this thing by yourself. God is involved. You have word. You have got us by the Holy Spirit. You have precedence that you can use. The strong man has considered and planned and committed to the aspects of the whole race. I was thinking about this when I came to this particular passage, that uh, a strong man, that's one who is considered and planned his, the aspects involved. I was thinking about a pro golfer. When a pro golfer goes to a course, he walks that course and he sees how the course is laid out. He sees the obstacles he's going to have to uh, circumvent. He sees the dips and the valleys. He sees the rough areas. He sees the trees and the hindrances that he's going to have to circumvent. This is the course in in total. And I was thinking also about a a pro uh, race driver, professional race driver. He walks a track. He knows every inch of that track, what he's going to have to do. He's going to be, he knows where the the undulations will be. He knows where the prevailing winds will be coming from. He knows uh, how much effort he's going to have to put in the steering process when he gets there to to stay solid in the turn. I was thinking about also a pilot. A pilot just does not climb into an aircraft and and just start his engine and just venture off hoping he'll get there. He files a predetermined flight plan, uh, evaluating every aspect of that flight from the, from the quality of the aircraft he's flying. He can have the best laid plans, but if he has a, a failed a product of an airplane, he's going to go down. He, he can have the best airplane in the world, but if he doesn't have knowledge or skills, he's not going to make it. If he doesn't plan for the weather involved and the navigational aids, he's going to have tremendous problem. Weather kills. That's a hindrance that every pilot deals with, and it's always different. Expect the unexpected uh, when you start dealing with this as a strong man. But even when you've evaluated this, and Psalm 19 says, rejoice, hallelujah, rejoice, because as a strong man to run the race, you've planned your course. That's why in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus is speaking. He says, which of you intending to build, setteth, means setteth down first and and, uh, counteth the cost, whether he will be sufficient to finish it. And it there would be the course, the thing that's desired. You're, You're the one, the race that you're going to run. In preparing for venturing forth and life events where challenges will be endured, you need to remember some things. When you're in preparation and you're ready to go forth into the race, into the, to getting the course, into the course, you need to be remembered, uh, remembering some of the challenges. If uh, Ecclesiastes 
chapter 9, verse 11 says, the race, now that means the totality of it, is not to the swift. The one who can run the fastest and talk the more, talk the more rapid, throw out machine gun type ideas, that's not the way to run a race. We talked about pacing yourself. Neither bread to the wise. In other words, you don't, like Esau, he sold his bread for the moment. We don't need the bread for the, if we're wise. God will supply that. It says, nor riches to men of understanding. We know that we have allocated resources the right way. Nor favor to men of skill. We don't need everybody patting us on the back and giving us out of boys or out of girls when we're in our race. We know who we are. We know what we need to do. We know that we're qualified. We know that we have resources because we have the skill to put those into practice. And it goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 9, 11, but time and change happeneth to them all. That means flexibility. As we progress, situations will require that time be involved and also the time will bring new challenges over what we had planned. So it teaches us to be a flexible, flexibility in every situational awareness. Nothing develops exactly the way that we thought it would before. We, we're going to encounter things that we did not anticipate. And that's where our past maturity comes into play. As one grows, matures, our goals and our motivations evolve. Please remember that. You are not a static Christian. You are growing in the Lord all the while. And that's why we in, endure and overcome these trials and tribulations by our prayers and our fortifications in God, allowing him to strengthen us and give us words of wisdom and words of knowledge. We get fortified to the path that's coming because at some point our focus is to the desire that we have. We, we keep our eyes on the goal that what we're running for. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. There are a lot of people running the race. All of mankind is rerunning a race of sorts. Unsaved people are running one race in that race. Saved people Regenerated people are running another race in that race. The high calling of God is not the goal which, which we seek right now. It is not the high calling of God. But it is the award of the virtue and related to it. The things we do for God will add to the high calling of God. The more we accomplish for God, the more we do his will, the more we are intuitively, instinctively know 
and drawn to the fact that we're adding to the high calling of God in his cumulative total and also into our life. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, elaborates. He says, none of these things move me. All of the things we've been talking about, they don't move me. Neither count I my life dear. That means dear there in the Greek means valuable or honored or having a great price. Once we start letting uh, our, our life be the primary thing in our life, what, how we feed it, how we uh, pamper it, how we clothe it, how we give it the things that it desires and yearns for. That, that's, that's, uh, we're not going to count that as dear. Doing the high calling of God and, and getting that done and running the race at the moment to the award of the value that's related to that moment is going to be what's dear to us. And it says, so that I might finish my course. I can't run your course. You can't run mine. You can't run somebody else's. It appears at times that we're in a great multitude in the race, but we're really not. We're there as a separate entity. We are enduring the running by ourselves. And it says, so that I might finish my course with joy. It's, it's, it's hard to see unhappy Christians. I know the world is aflame. I listen to the same current events that you do. I see the same evils that you do. I'm aware of the same obstacles to a Christian life that you are. But we can, we can finish our course, and we can do it with joy. We're not to let anybody or anything steal our joy because, as I preface this message, with we're going to be warring against principalities and powers. Satan is doing everything that he can to hinder a Christian, and every, especially everything that he can, one who is purposed to do the will of God, to run the race for God and with the Holy Spirit to accomplish the goal that has been set before us. It says, so that I might finish my course and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. God knew what was going to be happening in your life, what you would have to endure every moment of every day, before, during, and after you have come to him. It doesn't slip up on him. Before he ever spoke the first thing into existence in creation, he knew you, he knew what you would be faced with, and he has the resources to cause you to be victorious. To testify the gospel. None of these things move me, neither count my life dear, so that I might finish my course and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. When people see you overcoming victoriously in your battles, in your courses, which your family will see because they're closest to you, and your friends will see because they're a little more close, not, not more close, but a little more distant than your family, those with whom you work more distant yet, and people who pass you, if they see on your countenance a joy 
and you talk with them and they'll know that you're serving the Lord, they'll say, how is that person doing that? I know what they're going through. I've heard the, the testimonies of what, what they're facing. Through much will be accomplished. As we go through this thing, we're going to be accomplishing a great deal. God will give us an impression of what we're accomplishing. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. When we have understood that we have accomplished things for God and we have grown in our maturity and God has shown us wondrous things, there will come a point when we are ready as Tim, as, as Paul, I'm sorry, as Paul wrote to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, and this, this is a testimony in our race period too. We're going to witness to this. He says, I am now ready to be offered. That means to be poured out. You, you've seen people pour out a libation, you know, before they take a drink, they'll pour a bit of it out and then they'll drink the rest. That's called a libation. Now that's a, that's an ungodly thing to pour a libation out to nature or to a God. We don't pour out libations. We, 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 we prepare another way. We, uh, we're prepared body, soul, and spirit before the Lord. We prepare our body by keeping it fit and ready for service to God. We prepare our soul by cleansing, keeping our soul, our mind, will, and our emotions fixed on the Lord and not allowed to wander into uh, degradation and things which will deplete us. We keep our spirit full of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. We sacrifice to God. Our, our, our race is a sacrifice to God. We, we have chosen when we're ready to be sacrificed to devote our life or blood as a sacrifice. Our life is a living sacrifice to the Lord. It says, give your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And there's coming a time after this life when the scriptures indicate that we will go into a holy place with God and there he will, we will give our blood on the altar of God as a sacrifice to him. That's why when we're raised in our glorified state, we will be raised in a glorified body with a glorified soul, body, soul, and spirit, but we will have no blood just as Jesus Christ now is body and, and, uh, and spirit and soul, but he has no blood, we will be as he is. We will ha neither have blood. We won't need blood then because life is in the blood now, but then life will be in the light of God. Paul says, I am ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Now to Paul, he was speaking about his death, but I'm going to take a little auth uh, author's uh, latitude and talk about this can be your race when you're ready to depart to go on that it is a it is a death to self and a purpose you have to be totally committed to your race and this may take more than one time but there's going to come a time when you realize those things are behind me i am prepared i'm in my race i will be victorious and then where and uh, he said in Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm ready to be offered. In verse 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. 
Fault there means it's a contest of contending and also struggling. That's what your race is going to be about. God is not going to let you run an easy race. Now, it may seem easy when you're a baby Christian, but the more you get in God, he's going to give you tougher races to run. And your life race will be stronger uh, uh, in struggles and contentions. Fight also means an outward visibility of struggling. People will see you struggling, and it'll be an inward conflict within your soul. And the inward conflict, I will tell you, will be greater than what people will see in you. As a, as a minister and a pastor and a teacher, uh, I can tell you that the internal struggles are always more challenging than the outward struggles. So I finished my course. All his personal traits have been submitted to God. I finished my course, my course, all of my traits are hidden in Christ. My personal career course and occupation is committed to God. My work that I'm doing now, I don't do for me. I do as unto the Lord. Once we recognize that, we can be the best whatever in our occupation because we were, we know that we're not serving that company. We're, we're working for the company, but we're serving God. We're not working for that, uh, that adverse supervisor or those employees around us. We're serving God in that challenging place, in that part of our race. And he says, I have kept the faith. That means conviction of the truth of the thing. We're running the thing for the right reason. We have the right thing as our end course in this race. Uh, in our every little day races, we keep the thing in front of us. In our life challenge, God will show us what our particular thing that we have that we want to accomplish through our race. And it says, Paul says, to achieve uh, a, a fought a good fight. That means to achieve a journeyman level in a vocation. We have to do that for God. When you reach a journeyman's level, say in your academics, if you reach a journeyman level, say say you achieve a doctorate, which is the highest thing that you can re- receive in academics. When you reach a doctorate, that means that you are totally sufficient in every facet of which you can be tested for in your particular discipline of your doctorate. Now, obviously, we know that that's not so. Even though you have a sheepskin on your wall, we obviously know that you don't know everything. We always are learning in our particular uh, discipline in our doctorate. So, in the workplace, when we attain a journeyman level, people don't have to look over our shoulder anymore. They expect us to be able to handle every situation that we encounter as a journeyman. We have to come to that understanding in our spiritual maturation that no matter what the tests we will or are experiencing, we are sufficient in God to deal with that. And in closing, I want to use one last verse of Paul to Timothy in that second chapter of Timothy, verse 4 
uh, chapter 4, verse 6, he said, I'm ready to be offered. My departure is near. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And I, I added, I've become a journeyman. And verse 8 says this, Henceforth, that means everything that's going to forever and ever come into play, there is laid up for me a crown. That crown is there. God has it sitting on the proper place, just awaiting to put it on your head. This realization can only be realized by a regenerated, saved person. It cannot be realized by an unsafe person. They will go on into death and through death with that yearning that I spoke about in preface, never fulfilled. And they'll have that yearning forever into eternity, separated from God with all of the, uh, all of the frailties, the diseases, the illnesses, the cravings that were there in their life will continue forever. God won't, won't be there as a help for them. But we, as saved ones, the crown for us is to leave this life having finished our race. God will say to us, welcome, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord, and he will place that crown upon your head. Personally, I want to add an addendum. This is just my words. I don't believe it's going to be a literal crown. I think it's a hyperbole, meaning that your crown will be a visible crown of your royalty, of who you are in Christ, your stature in God. It'll also be a symbol of your honor, how you served the Lord. You're going to have an aura around you. People in the ages to come will look at you. They will see your royalty. They will see your glow. They will see the glow of God on you. And it will be different for other from, from others. Some will have greater glow. Some will have lesser glow. But there will be no, uh, no jealousy, no animosity. They, in fact, is they will rejoice forevermore in the things that you did for God. And that will be your badge of honor to the saints that will be with you. And also, here again, my rendering to the fleshly, earthly people who did not belong to the body of Christ at their death, but they will go on into eternity serving God in their flesh and their bone in their blood. But they will be able to look at you without animosity, with no contention as to who you are and who you represent and what you're doing for God. It's been wonderful having you for this teaching. I refer you back to our website for additional teachings for those who can uh, give you additional insight into other areas and for some of the teachings I've done before and the Bible Answer Man things, which will be free there for you to peruse over those. So in time we'll meet again, When we meet again, I just pray that God will richly bless your life.